Welcome to a new episode of Speed Change Repeat. On today's episode, I host Adi Van Roy, who is the Vice President of HR at Hewlett Packard Enterprises. HPE was created as a result of division of Hewlett Packard Group into HP Inc. and HP Enterprises. Adi reflected about HP's development from being one of the founders of the Silicon Valley to a global hardware manufacturing dominator to a company that is trying to reinvent itself in the AI first world. Tune in to hear Adi's perspective on HP's position. Welcome, Adi. Well, thank you. Welcome. So, before we kick off, sort of, why don't you briefly tell us who are you and uh, where do you come from? What do you do? Yes, I'll do that. So, I was born in the Netherlands in uh, in Eindhoven, so around Philipstown is what we called it there, the town of lights uh, for the Netherlands. Um, but I uh, I uh, went into uh, human resource management. Uh, and studied human resource management uh, also there because I I wanted to be and work something with people, right? Well, find out that that's not really why you should be in human resource management along the way. But anyway, so um, I started working for HPE when, you know, for Compaq actually, which was a company that, uh, you know, that was in Houston and, and also in the computer technology. Um, in uh, and I started working for them in uh, Munich, in right. Germany, uh-huh. as the HR manager for Eastern Europe. Um, Interesting. And Compaq, uh, you know, also gave me the opportunity to grow my capabilities and more the organization development and the training stage facilitation of, of leadership training, leadership management. And that was in uh, which year? That was food. This is 97, 97. till 2000, right? Got it. So, yeah. So it's quite a bit, uh, bit back. Uh, with Compaq, uh, I was able to also move to uh, to Dubai and and there do uh, you know, manage the HR for the Middle East and Africa region. Yeah, right. Um, and did that for four years out of Dubai. Very hot. Very hot out there. <laughs> it's the desert. Lots of sand. Yeah. yeah. Um, but very very. It was a great experience. It was actually the early days of. Of when I would say Dubai was was really growing and evolving, so you would uh, really have the uh, you know the snakes in your garden because they had to flee away from the uh, construction that was going. Oh wow! On, I would say, uh-huh. um, but it was it was just a fantastic time uh, and learned a lot. Um, I moved back to mainland Europe, let's call it that, to to Vienna to mm-hmm. uh, be the HR leader for what we called at the time the emerging market. So that's everything, Middle East, Africa, uh, Central Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. uh, Russia was part of that. So mm-hmm. big region. Uh, spent my time mainly on the plane, traveling from you know three countries in a week or so, uh, and that was also a great time. Uh, you know, uh, big developments there, and that's also the time about when uh, HPE acquired Compaq. Correct. Um, and, and so you know, it was already a bigger company, Compaq, than it was before that because we we actually bought digital at yeah. the time. So you some icon, iconic names that flow by here, uh, all swallowed by HPE. HP at that time. HP was uh, acquiring every single <laughs> everything, company. That, yeah, everything in that area, and uh, and it was was great because I I was asked to 
lead the HR uh, integration and mm -hmm. the cultural integration mm -hmm. of both companies in Europe um, before I then uh, was was asked to lead a, you know, the enterprise business for Europe uh, from an HR perspective as business right. HR. Um, and the enterprise business at the time that was even bigger than what you would call HP Enterprise now. It had it had a huge software branch. It had Which big services. Later, yeah. On, yeah. later on, we divested that again. So it had a huge uh, services branch. Uh, and then all the, the storage, networking, data center uh, capability that we have now. Indeed, um, okay. But, but you know, that was kind of the business that I was responsible for. Uh, after that, I was asked to, to lead uh, the whole of HR, so everything, all the businesses in Europe. Um, and this is when we started uh, also in our path of divesting companies. So right. in, the, in that period when I was leading uh, Europe uh, HR, uh, we uh, divested, uh, you know, in, or we broke into four companies, you could say. Uh, we divested smaller pieces of it as well, meanwhile, uh, but that's kind of where we, uh, where we ended up with. So our services branch went to CSC and mm -hmm. formed DXC Technologies yeah, now, yeah, yeah. big ser you know, outsourcing services, uh, IT outsourcing and services company. Uh, our, um, our software branch went into Microfocus, the UK, company uh, and and delivering a large software capability um, now and we have obviously HP but the way I would call it HP Inc yeah uh, which is the uh, you know the the notebook personal the ones computers which, uh, generally people are very much aware yes, of yes this is the branch that people know about right. typically which is the printers and yeah. uh, those kind of what you don't know so much about HP Inc perhaps is the digital printing digital presses mm -hmm. they actually are replacing kind of the you know where you normally put your you know um, print your your newspaper with Digital presses are replacing that. 3D printing is coming from uh, HP Inc. So lots of evolution there as well. And we split off with them a couple of years ago as well, some three right. years ago. And then uh, what is remaining for me, let's say that way, is uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, and that is now globally a company. Well, before we were, you have to imagine, this is a big transition because we were around about 400,000 people globally when we were the big HP. Um, and this company now has around about 60,000 people. Right. Uh, still a lot, but, but if you think about processes and, and culture and, and dynamics, management behaviors, management change, more nimbleness and agility, um, very different from running a company of 400,000 people. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is fantastic. So you've given us an overview of kind of, I mean, what you've done in almost... Yeah. 20 years, yeah. right? So going back in time, it, you know, you mentioned your first, you started off in Munich with uh, looking onto the operations of Eastern Europe. Yes. And that is, it reminds me of actually my father's journey after he finished his uh, education in right. Ukraine in exactly, the yeah. Soviet days. And his first assignment was actually to sell computers from Germany in the Soviet Union. All right. And he has a lot of stories of how difficult it was given that number one anything computers for soviet union was one foreign and therefore an interference in their day-to-day -day. how did it feel you know you, uh, you know not just from your hr role but observing right. the difference of mindset that there was on the east and the west at that point in time 
Yeah, and it, it was funny because at the time you have to think that you know PCs were already getting normal in Western exactly. Western markets, yeah. but in Eastern markets, you know, um, servers and PCs weren't that normal yet, or at least not foreign servers mm -hmm. and PCs. So I actually had the opportunity for the company to open up a number of offices and and be you know, the one that puts the infrastructure in place. Right. Let's say in in the Baltics and in in um, in Czech Republic, in in Bulgaria, in those kind of countries. Um, or you know, you know, grow the business, grow the people, grow the sizes, uh, the management maturity in places like Russia and in Poland and those kind of places. I actually was the MD of Poland for four weeks because you know we, we didn't have an MD, and <laughs> my my business boss told me, "Why don't you stay here and run the business right. for a while?" Interesting. Uh, which which is what I did. Now I think the um, the Eastern European market in that time was incredible because people were just wanting companies like HP and Compaq to come over and and educate them and uh, so if you normally when you would be in Western Europe you would give a class on I don't know data uh, server management right um, you would have a hard time to fill it in um, in 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 Eastern Europe, I mean, you, you you the rooms were filled up for days and days. So we we could send engineers there to teach, and people would just come and and do anything you want to to get uh, get you there, and that was fantastic. So they were swallowing knowledge, really wanting to learn. Um, admittedly, you know the. The let's say the, the regulations were a little bit difficult there, right? Right, and yeah. as a as a U.S. company, we really had to manage uh, you know manage our way into the local market, work with local partners, because it was very difficult to enter the market uh, in those conditions at that time. Um, and obviously, we made mistakes, like everyone did, um, and so we had to. Sometimes it was you know. Two steps forward, one step back. Absolutely. Right? I think I think we all experience that, uh, not just in Eastern Europe, also in the Middle East, also in African countries. Uh, you know, it, there is a, a, an amount of learning that goes into it. I feel it's more stable in those countries now. Yeah. Uh, still, you know, with a little bit of a warning, uh, be careful, watch out. There's still friends of friends of friends that do a lot of jobs there. Uh, but I think it definitely has you know dramatically improved from those days which were great learnings for people like me. So know. what is interesting is if I observe your career path, you've always been in the midst of change. Yes. Right? So be it uh, taking up, up, you know, challenges of educating a whole market about personal computers and with Compaq to going in, and especially with HP, you know, indeed what we briefly talked about, the whole, at some point, HP was very, very big. Right, and uh, it was in, uh, I believe, top 10 of Fortune 500 yeah. with uh, hundreds of billion of in, uh, revenue. And it, there was a time of acquire, acquire, acquire. And that was a very interesting challenge when it comes to especially HR to bring different people together, different cultures. And then a decade la later, you see the exact opposite thing of, break, you know, divest, 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 all the way to the point of div division of HP Inc. and HP uh, Enterprises. Now, what was, uh, so in that, what what is the kind of learning for yourself that you say that, you know, how do you adapt with time? How do you 
do this at a scale? How do you bring people together so fast or let them also change with time so fast? What's your yeah, kind of so, secret or ideas? Yeah, about? no, it's a good question. And, um, you know, if, if you, you look through my CV on LinkedIn, you probably see, I think, perhaps at that time at least, or in the last couple of years, since the last couple of years, I, I was leading HR through the biggest acquisition in the IT industry, but also the biggest divestiture in the IT industry. Um, and the acquisition was which one? The acquisition was actually EDS mm -hmm. at the time. There was there was uh, 250,000 people and you know, I, I don't remember the size of the revenue anymore. <laughs> something in the range of 50 billion or right. so, right? Oh, wow. 49 billion. Um, so I, I, you know, those, those were big, big uh, mammoth. But the, the way you get people behind you there is to have a shared vision and to create that shared vision. Um, and it starts really at the top with, that, with, with those kind of views, right? So, and every leader that I've worked with, every CEO I've worked with, it has been that same situation. Now, granted, some might have had a vision that you wanted to be behind and others had a vision that perhaps was more business focused and less um, enticing or less mm -hmm. motivating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But but you, you could clearly see the path and the strategy they were walking, the direction that they were giving, and you could make a choice yeah. either to join or or be part of it. And if you're part of it, and if you want to join it, it's it's not with 100%. That doesn't do it, right? You you got to give 150. Um, and and I think that only happens when you you know, really share that vision. Then you step over yourself. Um, as a practitioner, what I found is. You know, it's good to know a lot of stuff. But I was once in a room with a bunch of consultants, I believe something like 15 consultants, an accountant and me. Right, and in that time, we kind of looked at, uh, you know, spinning off. Uh, you know, I believe it was the services branch, and saying which entity goes where. What does it mean for the people from a labor relations point of view? Mm -hmm. And this was we were going through 170 entities globally in oh, wow. in, in 120 countries, and they asked me, Adi, do we spin here or do we uh, sell here?" And and it had consequences for how we treat the people. Absolutely right. Um, for each and every entity. So I'd say, if you think that I would know the answer to each one of those, <laughs> then you're mistaken. In a room, right? And nobody else, you know, they were all consultants. They right. asked, asked the question, which was strange to me as well. Um, but you, you just have to, at some stage, say, well, this is kind of... 80, the 80, 20, the 80, the, the, you can't be 100% right. So make it 80% so you can move along, get along and then figure out where, you know, you might have 30% not been right. I think stand on your feet and on your feet when you get asked a question, you have your own kind of direction and goal and what you wanted to want mm, to achieve mm -hmm. and, and, and be able to give that answer as confident as you can in those rooms. I think that's a... A methodology of and and a, you know if you're a person like that, then you can stop uh, stand up in that environment and contribute really a little bit more. It's it's not so much about you know being the most you know experienced or expert in the room. It's more about uh, being able to make a choice mm. uh, and a decision at the time. Right. Okay. This is interesting. And I think where where would you say empathy falls into that? Because business, of course, is often seen as the numbers game, and it's about you know making sure that the bottom, uh, let's say, or the top line, bottom line is taken care of. But in the meantime, you know, people are a company's biggest asset. Yeah. 
And when you're doing such large in, uh, investments or divestments, it is people's um, kind of, um, well, entire life is dependent on it. Yeah. So was there a certain way, because, and these things happen very quickly, if I look one after another and the number of acquisitions that were happening, was there some expertise developed actually by maybe <laughs> HP of, you know, next time we do this and this, you know, it's like a, a checklist yeah. of some sort. or <laughs> Yes, yes, no, and, and we're still learning, right? So <laughs> I think we might have, you know, in four years, we spun of these four, right? And and I believe the four years before that we acquired four of those big moments. <laughs> um, and I would say you, you never stop learning because they're all different. Um, so where does empathy play a lot? Let me first say that sensing, feeling, emotions play a significant role in leadership and management, mm -hmm. right? So there's a huge amount of things we do and facts that we try and get on the table and data we're analyzing to come to a perfect decision. But at the end of the day, when you need to make it, sign the paper, it's all emotions, it's all emotions. There's nothing else to it. And you don't know everything mm. at that moment. And you don't know what the future will bring. And, you know, frankly saying, HP sometimes missed a bit of the, you know, what's happening in the future when you think, well, you know, that's why Google's here. Right? Yeah, right. Uh, or that's why, you know, some of those, you know, companies are there that, that shouldn't have been there if we've done our job well. Right? <laughs> um, so I, I think when you, when you look at that, you never know everything. And the final decision, the final you know, signature on the paper is full of emotions. Mm. Uh, and that goes for everything that you trickle down in that. So um, being an empathetic leader and, and ha allowing yourself to say this is partially emotional and I'm making a decision now that has a partial emotional element to it, I think is, is absolutely the, you know, it, it's very wise to be aware of that. Indeed. To this is, understand this is very interesting, right? So, it, you know, that discretion or in a way combining the human side with the more rational side, you know, emotional and rational side to run a business together. Must be. Now, to transition, I mean, uh, HP is an iconic brand. You know, iconic because uh, if you, you know, the birthplace of HP, the garage of HP is uh, in a sort a monument of uh, the growth of Silicon Valley. Uh, can you maybe go back into kind of the history a bit of uh, where Hewlett Packard started, just to give an audience an overview of what the company stood for when it started and what is what was its history. Yeah, yeah. So they, Dave, uh, Dave and Bill Hewlett Packard, right? They uh, they started coming out of uh, you know out of the university in San Francisco, the uh, uh, to you know to work together uh, after they've been in in all kinds of other uh, you know work in between, right? They did they did some military and things like that, and they uh, they started in a shed in Palo Alto, uh, which you know. Some say, and obviously we would say, is you know that shed is the birthplace of Silicon Valley, right? And and I they, think there's also a plaque. Yeah, there's a plaque that. saying a, that. So so there is confirms. some official. Yeah, you know, but you know. Just to be clear, you know, we own that building and that plaque, right? right. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as right. possible, but we believe it. Um, and, um, you know, they, they started with building oscilloscopes for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for Disney um, and, and had a big order for them. And, uh, and with those oscilloscopes, Disney was able to create, you know, fantastic uh, film and, and, and sound, right? And also did a lot for the medical industry for, you know, uh, measurement 
instruments, uh, of instruments, those kind of things. Um, that's how it started. And this was 19, end of 1930s. Yeah, so this was, this was in the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they had a specific kind of um, um, value. Their value was that their employees, at that time, you could imagine that it was a very different, it was kind of the fourth era, right? Where, you know, workers were kind of machines. Mm. They, you, you put them on a long line and, and they all may add a piece to the, to the, to the Correct. car. Correct, right? the assembly line concept. The assembly line concept. Now, for them, it was very different. They felt that every worker in that worked with them when they started and grew the company um, should own a, uh, a bit of that company. As it grew, and they uh, they they practice uh, management by walking around us, which you would mm -hmm, say by mm -hmm, empathy. Mm -hmm. So they actually were part of their of the of the constant work of the of the the workers there and they, the people they employed. And this is how they grew their business. They they wanted people to have. Um, their own personal opinion about things. Sometimes they kill the project, you know, they kill the project which created the first kind of printers, digital printers in that in the way that they were printed. Um, they killed it and the and the R&D, the labs uh, employee decided in his little corner to keep on going even without their, uh, you know, support, right? Kept on going and, and built, you know, the first HP printers, um, <laughs> and which was obviously one of the best business we've right. ever had right right um, and and so they they love to tell these kind of stories to people to say be disobedient to me please <laughs> right and I'll, uh, you know, tell me what you're working on so I can see whether I can help you or not in any way and and they really even when they grew this multinational uh, you know uh, multi-country company they traveled a lot and were and they they didn't have their own offices closed door etc they walked in between the people where they were working and constantly spoke to them and that that's what you know later on became the HP way there's a book about it um, every HP person that uh, you know that is here <laughs> will have read it I've got uh, two copies of me always when I travel just to be able to, you know, recite things to, um, you know, people I work with to say, oh, this is what Bill and Dave said. Uh, we still have their offices in Palo Alto. You mm -hmm. can visit them. Mm -hmm. And they are still in the same style as they were when they worked there. Oh, wow. So they're open offices. They have all that kinds of, you know, they have coins there because they, they saved the coins. They did something with it. Well, it was lucky coins, something like that. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, history of what they did. And they did a lot of charity and a lot of support for the communities. So their HP way is something that we still carry with us. I, you know, it's changed over the years. Obviously, you know, we're, we're no longer in the 30s, but um, that the, the the principal values of what they came up with at the time is still alive and kicking in HP now. This yeah. is fascinating because yeah. indeed what you mentioned was very interesting. You mentioned about the it was the era of the Ford and you know the automotive was growing Detroit and yeah. that set the trend. You yes. know this was especially in HR when it comes to treating people. And then there was management which was very hierarchical and then there were people on the ground who were executing and yeah. everyone had very specific defined roles of this is what you do and nothing else don't touch that versus what you're mentioning is you know now it is normal especially it's the kind of the more not just the hp way but the silicon valley way exactly yeah this is accepted you know be it with when i was speaking with bruce daisley from twitter their uh, uh their hacking week a week which they just say just work on whatever and yeah. see what comes out or google's 20 percent rule you know 
in a way, this sort of in, somewhat gets inspired by what you just mentioned. Yeah, that's why we're all constantly saying we're the founders of Silicon Valley. <laughs> and open offices and, and open, the concept of walking so the around. open offices, HP started with the open offices really as the, the first company that actually did that. It was unheard of at the time. And we, we still, you know, we, we kind of laugh in HP because sometimes we hear, you know, especially, you know, um, doctors saying that it might not be good to work in an open environment. And obviously there are disruptions and things like that but we cannot imagine working in a closed office <laughs> that's something that, you know we, we can't do it so even if doctors would say it yeah. it just doesn't fit for, for us so I, I think there is this kind of um, you know two groups of people on that you know yeah. there is one group of people that says open offices create synergies and the fact yeah. that you can just knock somebody and say hey can you help me out or can you proofread it and so forth which creates a lot of interesting innovation on the other hand what we also observe if you read the book uh, Deep Work, or uh, Bruce Aisley's book on new ways, uh, let's say the the joy of work. They talk about indeed the challenges of open offices. Is that how do you concentrate? And uh, Bruce always says that your headphones are your should be your best friends. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. you just gotta work and not to look around. No, everyone deals with it in their personal way, and I think I think that also fits again to how we see uh, and how we work. How we work, right? We we um, we're famous for our flexible arrangements, yeah, right? Okay. We we uh, allow people to work from home, but we want them to when they come to the office that they they like to be here and that this is the place where they you know meet and and coordinate and, and work together, uh, and it's a nice place to work from. Um, uh, but we also um, you so, um, in that spirit, we, we see that uh, maternity leave, for instance, globally, we were the first ones to move it to six months maternity leave for women as well as for men. We believe in that kind mm -hmm. of flexible, you know, inclusive um, policies and, and uh, you know, we, we strongly believe that employees, uh, you know, want to make um, HPE better. And they they do it out of their own um, purpose. They they don't need a manager to tell them, uh, you know, come come to the office, work from home today. Um, obviously, it's good to coordinate, especially in certain teams. You know, there might be more office work than homework, but um, but in, the principle is there that we believe that. Uh, employees are, you know, it's not. It's not like you you have to take your dog by the hand every time and tell them Fair. where to where to go, right? Indeed, indeed. It's a human being with a mind of its own. So, um, as long as you give them that clear vision, that purpose, where they believe this is something worthwhile to go for and to invest in, and they can be part of that puzzle, um, you know, then that independence that employees needs need is there. And, and that really creates a much better environment. Interesting. Now, moving on to sort of, you know, so we went back into the memory lane of HP. Yeah. But recently, HP, of course, you know, I think, especially still my generation, like it is known for its hardware products. Yes. Right. So the, the printers, the my per first two laptops were also HP, for example. And, and it's kind of reminds of your high school days of even first college days in a way. Now, but with what we have seen, let's say, be it with uh, Microsoft or, I mean, Google especially, like we started having this software-first companies coming in, and that is something which HP did not adopt 
you know so and yes it started the software business on the side but overall it stood for hardware business what do you see you know hp's positioning like especially in the 90s and 2000s hp started in a way losing ground to the new flashy companies where the googles came over and and then later on the social media hype but in a way hp had a a kind of jump start you know it had a brand name, it had people, and in fact, a lot of HP's people ended up going to different companies oh, yes, starting. Yes. That's also a very yes. interesting observation. Yeah. So where do you see a kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it it went wrong, but it, was it difficult to judge the market? Well, what's your observation there? Yeah, I think we, we missed the cloud um, um, era, or the cloud opportunity, let's call it that way. And uh, we uh, obviously, when you're vested in um, local data centers in on-premise data centers right. and on-premise capability bespoke for customers um, with a huge services brand into customers and consulting branch into customers I, I think I think you kind of you kind of um, you, you get a little bit um, um, how do you say that addicted to to the money that comes from there, that money stream and that opportunity that is out there, um, and and so we missed it because the opportunity that to 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 really disrupt that market was cloud computing, mm-hmm. was the cloud infrastructure. In fact, I would. I would give it a balance to who actually really created Amazon or Google. It's it's one of the two probably, uh, because Google is more the public uh, kind of space. Of course, and, and AWS Amazon, is. And, you know, yeah. AWS is, is really the the enter, you know, They disrupted my market. Let's yeah. call it that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they they bubbled. You know, my my dream. You know, they kind of really took it apart. So yeah. I I think that's that's why we we look to Microsoft now. Coming on to that, AWS, I think, are are the, the biggest disruptors for our market. Uh, what you need to see is that we quickly pivoted there and said, okay, but we have our own kind of perspective and need to focus. When we were the bigger HP, it, it was difficult to focus, right? And, and cloud was only disrupting one piece of our business, right? The other pieces, uh, printing and, and press presses, right? And was still going well, mm-hmm. was doing, you know, and, and there was a lot of profit and operating margin and growth in there. And then you had the PCs, same, same thing. So we missed it because we weren't focused, right? And and we were not looking into specific markets and where they would be going or segments of the market where they would be going. We, we simply were too big. Mm. So, you know, hence, you know, our strategy to say, to divide, let's, yeah. let's divert first. And then from there, you know, be much more focused on the specific segments and compete in those areas. Um, I think as HP, we now we found our 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 destiny. Let's call it that way. So I think we're in uh, we're on the, we feel much better now in this space. So so just for the broader audience, yeah. what does HP Enterprises currently stand for? Yeah, yeah. What are the services? Yeah, so we we call ourselves the the edge to cloud infrastructure company. Right. And, what and, does that mean? Yeah, um, <laughs> I need to explain that. So, um, you know, first of all, we want to improve the way uh, businesses and and people work and live. 
Um, and that, and we do that through the infrastructure that is available. So uh, when you think about uh, cloud, I think that's that's pretty logical. Uh, you know, even if we don't run the cloud ourselves or par uh, portions of the cloud ourselves, uh, anything that goes to the cloud in terms of data, in terms of analytics that happens there, uh, is something that we should be able to bring to the cloud, especially the data. Um, there's a whole infrastructure necessary to bring it to that cloud. Cloud is not a, it's not in the sky. It doesn't kind of, you know, absorb, uh, you know, data through uh, diffusion, right? It, it really... Though a lot of people would yeah, believe that. <laughs> some people believe that, yeah. but it, need, it needs networking. It needs cables. It mm. needs um, Wi-Fi even. It needs 5G, which, you know, also that we support. And, but it also requires then, you know, servers or data centers to crunch the data to store the data i mean the the amount of data that is uh, you know that we create every year now is more than was created in all the years before now right Absolutely. so that yeah. we are alive as humans right um so every year we you know that data therefore exponentially grows needs to get stored but needs to also be able you need to be able to tap into that data when you need it um, so and it cannot be active all the time because that will cost too much energy too much money to make that happen so all that capability of how that data is accessed stored mm -hmm. and um you know and and brought up uh, as well as the the network that is there that's what we call going you know the the hybrid or, or taking it to the cloud some companies will need still that on-premise capability that data security that privacy where nobody can access it but them and it needs to be only organized and ordered by them um, but you know not taking it to the cloud actually in the cloud you, you have specific rules on how to get data back and it takes a little bit because networks are not as fast as when you go into a processor itself. Mm -hmm. So there is certain data that you can't really put into the cloud that requires to be still on a premise of a customer. Uh, and you have to think about the medical industry, you have to think about banks, you have to think about so you know, governmental institutes. So those kind of capabilities, all that infrastructure, also the cloud itself, the servers and the data centers and the and the networking itself that's what HPE does but more right now when you think about the the amount of data that needs to be crunched meanwhile we talk about petabytes that's mega 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 megabytes per second that needs to be crunched to for instance find a cure for cancer or find you know um, calculate whether the stars are actually that far apart as we think they are, right? Um, so th that requires supercomputers. And HP now has in the top 50 supercomputers super the majority of share of all brands there. Um, so we also create supercomputers that you need on-premise to crunch incredible amounts of data at, a use, at an incredible speed that we've never seen before. Uh, and you have universities and, uh, and, you know, and, and institute, research institutes that have them buy these kind of compu uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, computer power. Indeed. Right? We recently bought Cray Computers, which you know, is one of those you know, companies that has all this kind of capability. Interesting. So there, there's more, but there's more. No, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So finally, yeah. The, the this is the the cloud piece still. 
when you go edge, this is where you see ah, okay. you know, driving cars, you see uh, you know, self-driving cars, those kind of things. So you have a lot of sensors on that car. Yeah. Now, what you don't want is the sensor to see somebody crossing the street and it goes upload to the cloud, oh, yeah. comes back from the cloud into the, latency the car and says, not... break, uh, too late, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? So that's not possible. So you need now, in the car, you need uh, processing technology. Absolutely. So we edge create, we make yeah. this edge processing capability, and then obviously we transport the data that you can load into the cloud that you don't need in the car back into the cloud. Now, that, that edge capability, you, we only usually think about cars, but you got to imagine we recently sent a, uh, NASA sent a rocket to the moon or, and, or you know, no, into the, in, into the universe. Uh, how do you call that? Yeah. And, and on that rocket, we had a HP server. Mm -hmm. And that server was tested whether it could actually stand up in universe, in, in space travel because it has very different kind of environment, very different needs uh, than any kind of other environment has. Uh, and it was very successful. And you got to imagine what it does, because if you want to travel to Mars, there's no way you can send back data to, to Earth. <laughs> Good luck waiting for that. Into the Amazon cloud <laughs> yeah. to get it back and say, oh, now take a small direction left, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. meanwhile, you've sh just shot B, b, you know, uh, ahead of Mars or you, a comet uh, hit you, right? So you need processing power on that rocket. And, and that's, so this is one of the examples. But also much more simple if you have these wind farms yeah. over in, in the sea. Uh, you know, if one of them breaks, you want to have a, uh, a, a remote service capability. Th that's kind of all the processing. Now, you've got more agriculture. Of course. Uh, I mean, then the whole IoT devices, wherever they are. Everything that you do yeah. with IoT, it's all there and requires processing power. Correct. And a lot of them require the processing power on, premise, on the premise, yeah. on the place where they actually collect the data. Um, now and therefore we have you know wireless networking. Correct. We have we we have um, software management for five G, uh, and we all bring that together under one software capability management capability. So if a company buy this, you know now we make it all as a service. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about the infrastructure anymore. We just sell you the data processing. If you want to grow it up or down, doesn't matter. Uh, right. We will take care of the infrastructure Got it. as much as you need. <laughs> the only thing you see is a software platform that says you're utilizing this or that now, and this is your cost. So, that's very interesting. I think you put it up very well together yeah. in the end, too, and quite a challenging task. You yes. know, there's quite a few yes, different services, yeah. and you know, we're going from. <clears throat> cloud to the edge and the importance of edge computing, you know, especially in the topics that you mentioned. But what is also interesting is your business model has changed. Absolutely. You know, so previously you would uh, charge per device, per things per like device. that. Yeah. But you have adopted the cloud computing business model saying you can go up or down because... <clears throat> Businesses right now also do not know, uh, you know, how they're going to scale. Exactly. We have never seen before businesses scale like this. You know, when Facebook was growing or Amazon, you know, they themselves grew AWS because they couldn't scale. The, uh, they didn't know what to expect from their own business. Yes. So, so th this is uh, quite fascinating, and I think now it's a very interesting transition, also given the time, into artificial intelligence and uh, that the space of. Data, you know, so data seems to be at the heart of HB enterprises. But specifically, your focus, you know, is on human resources. You know, so we touched upon it here and there. 
but you're managing 60,000 people. Now, what role does uh, artificial intelligence play in that? What are the exciting things that you see? What are the spaces or concepts that you would like to share? Yeah, I, I think and we could talk about this for another hour, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, and it starts obviously re with recruiting. When you when you look at how we can better filter now a match to a job or a, a role or skills that we want uh, with external candidates and, and really understand whether those can verify whether those candidates actually have those capabilities Indeed, and yeah. which level of proficiency they have. We can all do that now because a machine kind of crunches the data and and looks at their LinkedIn profile, their you know the Facebook profile, the Twitter profile, everything they have, all the theses they've made on you know previously, the work they've done with previous companies, and we say, well, this is the proficiency level of that person on that particular skill. So machine, a machine, and AI is actually doing that for us to have the better profiles uh, to talk to when we have an opening or when we have a recruit. Is it just skill? Just to so you mentioned, of course, skill is one thing and knowledge that's another thing can you judge attitude so this is the point where i'm saying you know ai and machine learning will always be augmented always be augmented and and when i do uh, you know my my hr leadership team my colleagues always come to me and say oh we've got to be more efficient you got to go and automate digitize um, you know, put an AI in place, do some machine learning for this or that process, because that's how we can then reduce our cost and, you know, um, put our cost somewhere else or our budget somewhere else. And the answer is that you're not going to reduce people. It's not reducing people. It's always augmenting. You actually learn more. You're better. Mm. You are actually uh, being more emp empathetic. Empathetic. Uh, empathetic, yeah. empathetic because you know things better. Yeah. And you know, and it's augmented. I know now when somebody raises a case in HR about a, an issue they have, a policy they have, like say the car policy in in the Netherlands. When I look that case, it, the, the machine recognizes where I am, who mm -hmm, I am, mm -hmm. what kind of level of car I'm used to drive. How often I drive? Where do I go? What all those kind of what what cars did I buy in the past? But now uh, I have a problem with you know my service provider of the car. I don't need to talk to a machine. Mm. I need to talk to person, right? But the person then has much better overview of me. He can actually or she can help you much faster. Exactly. So it's always augmented, and it goes in all the ways. Recruiting, it goes in learning, right? Uh, there's a huge amount of uh, connection between uh, matching future career profiles with what you currently can do and have learned and what kind of skills you have. And then say, well, this gap, here are the trainings that you could do. But even then, the, the choice for people these days on you know, virtual training and virtual learning is so big for the same kind of skill right, um, that you don't know what to choose for. You need somebody to help you with that, right? Uh, you need, sometimes you, you just need somebody that's done it before to help you. So we can actually, an AI can mm. connect you to that person who's done it before, right? Yeah. Here are the people who have done it before in the company. Here's the phone number. If you click this link, you send an email automatically to them. That's kind of how it should be working, right? That's the experience that we can create through AI machine learning but it's going to always be augmented. People are needed for the emotional, uh, you know, the feeling sensing, the experience exp and explanation of what the AI brings them. Uh, the AI could probably sort out out of the three trainings which one 
people used in the past more often and said that they were better than others from their you know evaluation sheet but then still you want to hear it from that person that has done it before right and if we can make that easier then that's better but it's not going to replace the person mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and and so i think when I saw, hear colleagues talk a lot about, oh, we're going to, you know, all these jobs are going to go away. My answer is the jobs are not go the jobs are going to go away, but they are replaced with a different type of jobs, and therefore we need to have our HR people learn different skills, different capabilities than they've had before, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that that's a specific branch that I'm undertaking in a three-year plan, you know, because otherwise I have centers in India and in Guadalajara and in, in Poland that will be out of a job in two or three years from now. So there's a, there's a burning platform for them and for me mm -hmm. to keep them employed by, by teaching them new capabilities that are augmented to the technology, uh, machine learning, AI, and other automation and digitization. So this is definitely very interesting space learning and development especially now is changing a lot and changing very fast yes i think um till now we had this notion that you know you go you study first 20 25 years of your life and then you apply and so once you're out of university you have your diploma and a lot of people still believe that that is it now it's the enough of studying i'll just go and apply Th that is changing that is changing, and uh, as, uh, of course, working at the university, we observe and we have a responsibility ourselves to focus way more on lifelong learning. And rather than focusing on just teaching the concepts and the knowledge, but train people to be curious, inquisitive, and creative, and create that attitude so that people can learn on their own. What is your personal observation? Like, if you're, indeed, it's a, quite a challenge, especially if you're talking about the more... Uh, not necessarily blue-collar jobs, but uh, let's say less uh, cognitive jobs. Yeah, more task-oriented. Exactly. Yeah. How do you go about it? Yeah. So I, I think a couple of couple of things there. I think continuous learning isn't new, right? Everyone hears about it, and uh, but what happens is you get your day job, and you work ten hours a day to you know make your next promotion. Let's call it that way, and you don't feel like you're learning. The, the point is that you have to acknowledge that whilst you're working those ten hours, you're also learning. Mm. It's piece of it's a part of that continuous learning. Second thing I believe is that where you want to work for is for leaders that have a vision, yeah. that know where they're going, and that have a real, real core um, feeling of responsibility to their employees and their colleagues, uh, which means that they want to ensure that they, they find a way to help them to, uh, to learn the skills that are necessary to be employed in the future, and perhaps even get a better job in the future. Right, um, I believe that in the past we, you know, employers always said, "Well, I will tell you where we're going, and I will give you training possibilities, and we want you to learn." But you know, it's your own responsibility whether you take them or not. I think that needs to change. It's a, it's a, it's a dual responsibility of the employer or the manager, or the leader and the employee. It's no longer only the employee or only the manager or leader. Um, yeah, fair, you know, you want people to to continuously learn, but you gotta give them the the, the, the tools and the opportunities and the, uh, and the capabilities, and not just by virtual learning. 
yeah, by really putting a strategy, vision in place that they can stand behind, feel motivated about, where they want to be part of that vision and strategy in the future. And therefore, if they want to be part of it, they will have to learn. Mm. And you've given them the tools. I think uh, there is something that every leader needs to pick up. And and I unfortunately, I see it. I see it happening, but not everywhere. No, okay. Not even in, even in HP. It's difficult as a leader because this is time investment, it's it's hours and it's leadership, it's communication, it's belief, all of that uh, is part of it as a leader. Uh, but I believe this is where we, we need to be. That's the space we need to be. And especially at the time where brand loyalty is hardly there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so on one hand, of course, you need to take people together, train them and so forth. On the other hand, you also know that next day they'll pick another company and then yeah. just leave. Yeah, no, that's that's the risk. Um, you know, I, I'm... I'm fine with people leaving, uh, even my team, mm -hmm. right? I, mm -hmm. I want a healthy attrition. Uh, what I do want them to say when they left is, this was a great place to be, it was a great place to learn. This is great where I've started and built my career or perhaps have evolved my career. And if I can, at some stage, I'll be back. Mm. Um, and you know, if, there, if I can be an advocate in my company for right. HPE's products, Or, or systems or solutions. Well, that works as well. Then, you know, that's great for me. So, you know, I think it's, it's a, uh, you know, I hear the excuse, don't invest because you might lose them in a year right. from now. That's not the reason to not invest mm. because not investing is going to cost you much, much more. Yeah. That, that, that's very interesting. Now, I think given time, we are about 45 minutes in. So just um, getting closer to the end. What is one use case of machine learning or artificial intelligence at HP that you are proud of, mm -hmm. a very specific one, uh, that has shown to provide value? Because there's, of course, a lot of different use cases and there, some of them are still in kind of early stages, some are already being used. What is one thing that you personally found quite interesting, worked quite effectively? Yeah, I, I think you know I have more uh, things that I believe that will be successful in the future right, than I have things that I've now. already done, to be honest. And uh, so I'm, I'm, uh, you know, and and lots of uh, colleagues talk about predictive analytics, and you know that we do in HR to mm -hmm. predict who will be leaving in the future okay. or what key talents and how we can prevent it. I think that is not predictive, and that's just you know pure statistics right you can mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if you look in the past and you can give that kind of uh and i i promise you at hp because of our past it, there will be a white male leaving in the near future right that's a promise i yeah. don't, need a, <laughs> don't need an ai for that no. uh, because we simply had more white male working for us in the past than, right. we, than we have now so um uh, you know so based on that past that's how we predict the future so i th i think that th those are not them there's there's a lot that will be coming mm -hmm. especially around the experience that I think is really important and be experiencing with our systems with our internal capability with our support our service and how they how they feel that they are supported by HR in mm -hmm. the company uh, what I'm most proud of at this particular stage very simple actually is a opportunity graph so it shows people when they put in their profile in our system, in our HR system that we use. It shows them uh, what kind of opportunities people that have been in their jobs 
have taken from oh, there this is mostly yeah. and and where those people have been going what kind of roles they have been doing and what kind of uh, you know gaps they still have in terms of experience and skills mm -hmm. to make that role happen who the person is that's in that future role that came out of their role and how they can contact them and we have they have 10 opportunities in that graph that they can see uh, what they could do in the, in the future from where they are now um, it's a simple one to mm -hmm, be honest mm -hmm. but it's it's really an effective it's one still it's going kind of setting your target seeing yes. it because oftentimes it's like unless you feel it making it tangible that this is possible and this is what you can do to reach there yeah. or even beyond that yeah, yeah. Now, so we talked about the possibility and an interesting example. Now, on the other side of this, I'm sure you're also concerned about uh, possible limitations or challenges of AI, especially in the space of human resources. What is one thing that concerns you? No, I, I absolutely is. Yeah, we are, we're very big uh, on, on our culture. And our culture has a, a number of values and norms, uh, out of which probably... I can't say if my if my CEO would hear me talk now it would be a problem. I would say inclusion is one of the most important values that we have. Inclusive uh, behavior, non-harassing behavior, um, and and you see that in our policies, like the parental leave. Mm -hmm. um, what we believe very much is that if you have differences in thinking and, and views on a specific problem or topic, then that's how you can get the most value out of the conversation and the best solutions yeah. for our customers. Um, so, uh, you know, that is, that is the biggest challenge I see also in AI is that it, it still builds a lot on historical data, on historical trends, and to be frank, you know, a couple of years ago, the population, the way people thought, was much more unilateral, one linear, way, indeed, linear yeah, yeah. than than the case is now. So, um, ethical uh, AI is is a big, big topic for us. It's something that we might not, because we're simply not the AWS or we're not uh, Facebook or or any of those big brands. Um, Fantastic companies, they, they might be a little bit ahead with their actual work on it, yeah. but that's my biggest concern is how can we ensure that we have a, an objective AI, an objective machine that that um, you know that not only that recognizes when they when they are making those mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel people still don't understand that all technology should be augmented at the moment because it's too dangerous to leave it alone. Not so much because we're going to get the next, uh, you know, movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's because, <laughs> you know, the, the answers they give us should be non-biased. Yeah. And, and that's difficult at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, uh, and it is very difficult because bias is something which is so natural in a way. Yeah. And all the computer is doing is amplifying that yes. and that is where it gets quite scary but indeed responsible AI ethics and AI bias and AI is are topics which are now getting a lot more attention thankfully this has to be done otherwise um, I think you know at any point uh, you have a growth and everything is allowed to the wild west and I think now slowly regulations are coming in and we'll, we'll see how that that comes out you know it's a world of experimentation that we live in yeah. overall 
Good. Towards the end, I think the last question that we always ask, and it always throws our guests off guard. Oh, <laughs> no, but we make ask people to make a prediction. Now, predictions are always fun to do in this space, especially space of AI, because we all know they're going to be wrong. Right. So you get to choose both the timeline and the prediction, something that you personally observing or seeing, and the floor is yours. All right. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Um, so I, I think my prediction is, and, and this might not be too too scary, I, I really predict that um, human beings, employees in that matter, will interact with a, a communication device like a PC or a notebook um, that, uh, that becomes much more natural to them. The device will recognize them, mm -hmm. will know where they are, they will know which uh, triggers are planned for the near future, what's in their calendar. They will actually automatically take them to, for instance, you know, um, paying for the ticket, the ticket that th th the machine already purchased for them and, and work for them to fly to Berlin mm -hmm. where they have an appointment in three weeks from now. Right. So, um, so I think um, really that interactive, um, predictive, mm -hmm. uh, and, and action-oriented capability of a machine that contextually knows who you are Imagine it's your phone, right? But then in a very small version, only in glass. Um, that that will actually be more than your personal assistant. Will mm -hmm. be your personal robot almost, and it will diffuse between work and life. There's no difference anymore. Interesting. I, I think uh, you know, aside from data privacy and security, and and some elements that are more secured in the workplace. Mm -hmm it will ensure that those kind of parameters are set the moment you dive into work, right? So I, I really think that that machine is not too long, far away. The, the, for us, it's the next step is our portals and our employee portals and how they work like that, and they will work like that. Um, but it's, it's you know, I, I think it's going to be absolutely in the next five years, that kind of prediction of the robot in your pocket, that will be there. Interesting. I think that's a very bold statement, yeah. but uh, you know, we're, we're talking about general intelligence AI, right? Yes, it is. And it is. I the think technology is there, right? We're working towards that, and I mean, I think uh, everyone is rushing towards it, but we will see. Time will show. Yeah. Adi, perfect. Thank you very much for your time. I think on that note, um, we end this conversation, and uh, thank you very much for having us here in Amsterdam. Thank you too. Thanks for uh, allowing me to do this. I loved it. Pleasure. Right. Thank you.